knowing that the talk about talk listeners, I know because I talk to them all the time, they have a growth mindset and they are very ambitious about their careers. So what book in your library behind you and all the books that you've read do you think might help them the most? I think the thing that will help the most, just to go a little bit meta, is not any one specific book, but to commit to reading more books, I guess, that um, you said people have already got the growth mindset, which is kind of the key to it. Um, But I think if you're always curious, always wanting to learn more, and if you can... You know, if you're if you're reading a book a month, try and up up that to two a month. Or if you if you're reading three a year, try to get to five five a year. I think the the more that you read, and then as we said as well, like putting it into practice as well, that's going to help you a hell of a lot. That was the wise Adam Ashton, our guest expert for this very unique episode number one twenty seven. I was inspired to create this episode based on requests I've had from clients in one on one coaching or in workshops. When my clients ask me, Andrea. What communication skills books do you recommend? I read a lot. I've got my bookshelf beside me, and I'm always happy to give book suggestions. Then I thought, wouldn't it be great to do a book review or two or three in an episode? Well, here we are. You are in for a treat. You're going to hear a helpful summary of three highly relevant books that I recommend if you're focused on improving your communication skills. The three books are Influence by Robert Cialdini, Chatter by Ethan Cross, and Getting to Yes by Fisher, Yuri, and Patton. The last one, Getting to Yes, I just want to say this out of the gates. I pulled this one out in particular because every single client that I talk to seems to have read Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. It's like the modern negotiation Bible. So I thought it might be helpful to supplement this book with this older book, Getting to Yes, which really serves as a foundation for negotiation skills. Yes, you are going to feel super smart after listening to this episode. If you've been listening to the Talk About Talk podcast for a while now, you've probably come to expect a fairly regular structure to these episodes, right? So I introduce the topic, and then either I coach you and I share insights and advice, or Sometimes I interview a guest, but then I always summarize the main points for you at the end. I know you love that, and I'm going to keep doing it. Don't worry. However, this episode is different because instead of focusing on a specific communication skills topic, you're going to hear a discussion about three different books that are related to communication. So for influence, we're talking about persuasion, and we're talking about self-talk when we cover chatter. And we're talking negotiations, as I said, when we talk about getting to yes. You can think of this as three different book reviews in one podcast. This is very efficient learning for you. And by the way, this podcast is also available in video as a vidcast on YouTube. So if you tune in there, you can see me, you can see my guest, Adam, and you can even see the books and my bookshelf. Oh my goodness, I haven't introduced myself yet, have I? In case we haven't met, I'm Dr. Andrea Wojnicki, and I'm your executive communication coach. Please just call me Andrea. I'm the founder of Talk About Talk, where I coach communication skills to ambitious executives. My goal is to help you establish executive presence and accelerate your career trajectory. Sound good? If you go to the talkabouttalk.com website, you'll find many resources to help you out. There's information there about one-on-one coaching, online courses, corporate workshops, the archive of this podcast, 
And I really hope you'll sign up for the email newsletter. That newsletter is your chance to get communication coaching from me every week. Okay, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I'm slowly upgrading the Talk About Talk website. And there's a new section there now under the About tab where you can find my recommendations for you, including my top 10 books that I'm constantly recommending to my clients. And because you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to guess that you have a growth mindset and you might even read a lot of books. Welcome to the club. Okay, let's get into this. Here's how this episode is going to unfold. First, I'm going to introduce Adam Ashton. Then we're going to get right into the interview. There will not be a summary at the end. It's okay because these are book reviews and you do not need a summary of a summary, right? But as I said, I encourage you to check the show notes underneath this episode or on the talkabouttalk.com website. There are links there to each of the three books, plus all of the other books that we mentioned, and we do mention a few. Okay, in preparation for this interview, Adam and I both had some homework to do. Yes, we're doing your homework for you. We both arrived with three points we want to share with you about each of the three books. Of course, the power of three, always, right? So I said to Adam, these three points could be anything from a key insight that you want to highlight or a suggestion for how we can apply the learnings from this book to our communication skills and even whether or not we like the book. And in case you're wondering, I am only reviewing books that I personally recommend. These are the books, as I said, that I end up recommending to my clients all the time. So my opinion of each of these three books is very high. But as you're about to hear, Adam's opinion can definitely be different. All right, let me tell you about Adam. Adam and I met five years ago when we were both participants in Seth Godin's inaugural podcasting fellowship. This podcasting fellowship brought together a group of hundreds of podcasters and wannabe podcasters like me from all over the world, including Adam Ashton in Australia and myself in Toronto, Canada. As we were going through this journey to build our podcasting skills, a few of the people in this fellowship stood out for me, of course, as exceptional. And guess what? Adam was one of those people. So I wasn't surprised that he created an incredibly successful podcast focused on, can you guess? Books. He's also a genuinely good guy. And as you'll hear in a minute, he has a very infectious laugh. He is still laughing despite being a sleep-deprived parent of a newborn. And I learned that in the interview. I had no idea. Anyway, Adam's podcast is called What You Will Learn, where he and his co-host read a book every week, and then they share what he calls the best bits and the biggest lessons. After almost 7 million downloads, yes, 7 million, they compiled the best bits of this podcast into their first book called the they never taught you that was two years ago in 2021 then just recently they published a new book called attitude where they compiled insights about the attitude from some of the books and then they distilled them down into five simple lessons and the lessons are vision change learning fear and boldness sounds good doesn't it i can't wait to read it now you see why Adam is the perfect guest for this episode. Here we go. 
Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Adam, thank you so much for joining us here on the Talk About Talk podcast for the first time for a book review of three books. Fantastic. I'm nervously excited to be here. Uh, I've definitely, I remember listening to your podcast in the early days, so I'm glad to finally be a part of it. Oh, I am honored to have you here, Adam. I know your podcast is very successful. And to be honest, I'm a little bit nervous too. But as I shared with you a minute, just a minute ago, I'm really, really excited. So let's get right into it. Adam and I have decided on three books that would be of interest to talk about talk listeners. They are Influence, Chatter, and Getting to Yes. So we're going to attack them in that order. And I'm going to start by sharing a little bit about the author, a really, really brief summary, just so if you haven't read of or maybe even heard of the book, you'll you'll have the general gist of what it's about. And then we're going to jump in. And Adam and I separately have prepared independently three points. If we were just talking about the book ourselves, three points that we want to make and, and share with the listeners. And um, we talked about this offline. We both have notes. We are prepared mm-hmm. for this. So uh, if you see us looking down at our notes, that's why we're looking down. Um, so I guess we're ready to get started. Are you ready, Adam? I am ready. Okay. So the first book is by Robert Cialdini. I've got it right here. It's called Influence, New and Expanded, The Psychology of Persuasion. And this book is written by Robert Cialdini. He's a psychology prof at Arizona State, Arizona State University, and he's known as the godfather of persuasion, due in most part to this book, which he first published in 1984. And I was telling Adam that I, I definitely read it in the 80s. And then I also bought it again in 2001 for the, this is, this is the book that I bought over 20 years ago. Um <laughs> This is the third edition, which is much thinner. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but that original book and and the subsequent uh, version of it, the new and expanded version, are based on mostly research that Cialdini did um, in his role as a psychology academic, where he worked as a car salesperson, a fundraiser, and in telemarketing to really understand the dynamics of persuasion, which to me is fascinating. And so he came up with, at the time, uh, six ways to garner influence. And I am going to look at the camera and see if I can remember what they are. It's consistency, likability, authority, scarcity, social proof, and reciprocity. And then in this most recent version... He added unity. And I'm going to tell you how I remembered what those were in a minute. But with that background, Adam, what do you think of this book? I think this is phenomenal. I read this probably not quite as early as you did in the 80s, but I read it probably 2017. And it went straight to my sort of top 10 best books I've read of all time. And I'd say it's pretty close to staying there ever since. Um, It hasn't been knocked off the perch yet. I'd say... uh, I guess one of my my first takeaways is kind of like this is like the go-to book I reckon in terms of what do you put into the content to make it more persuasive um right. you know those those six or you know now seven things that you listed he originally calls them weapons of influence I think in his first book and then he he uh calls them levers now in the newest version just to uh I feel like they are weapon like uh depending how you use them um uh, but I suppose levers is a is a more gentler way of putting putting it I but think, I think that's those six why or seven levers I, 
uh, sorry to interrupt. I think that's why he calls them levers now, right? Because many yeah. people that were a little nefarious with their objectives were weaponizing these. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you certainly can weaponize the levers. Uh, but yeah, if you can, if you can work those um, into, like, if you if you previously use zero of those, and then you read this book, and you can use one or two or or more of these levers in your content, I think you become like, you know, it's not just like ten percent more effective. At communicating, it's like 10x more effective, I reckon. Agree. Agree. Anything else you want to add? The, there's the two, I guess my, uh, when you ask for three things, the two that always stand out for me as my number two and my number three is I always remember the foot in the door and the door in the face. Oh, uh, I don't know why yeah. they always just, they always stick out to me as, uh, as good ways of sort of remembering these. So the foot in the door is linked to that sort of commitment and consistency lever that you mentioned where it's, you know, you start with something small. Uh, you know, it could be a, you know, a, a very small favor or, you know, you could be giving away something for free or even a loss leader that you sell. Um, and that foot in the door is saying that if somebody does something small once, they're much more likely to do something bigger later. If you ask for the small favor now and they do it, all of a sudden they become the type of person that does favors for you. You're someone worthy of doing a favor for. And then the next time you ask a bigger favor, they've kind of already done something. So they'll probably do something more later. So you can kind of build it up from there. So I always remember the foot in the door. That's a great one. And then and then I always I always remember the door in the face as well. I probably remember it because I didn't get it the first time, but now I get it. Like because the door in the face is like it opens with a big whack. It's not like you're not just sneaking the foot in there, you're slamming that door open, whacking them in the face. And then you're sort of going backwards from there, um, which is linked mm. to the reciprocity one. So it's like the big, the big offer, you know, I I, I want this right now. And you're gonna you're gonna reject it because it's too much of a big ask. But uh. then by them by them stepping way back and dialing it way back to something much smaller, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, the other side, they've been, you know, they've been nice. They've, they've, you know, they've dialed back their offer. They've been very generous in, you know, instead of charging, you know, a hundred bucks, they're now charging 20 bucks for something. It's like, okay, well, fine, I'll do it. I'll, I'll reciprocate as well. I'll sort of come to the table and yeah. and play ball. So I kind of remember the, those two, the foot in the door and the door in the face for, for different scenarios of achieving a similar thing. Sounds a little bit like foreshadowing for getting to yes, which is the third book we're going to talk about, right? Like negotiating. <laughs> you get your foot in the door and then you get the door in the That's face. It. Yeah. <laughs> I love that too. I love that too. So my three points were just number one, that this is the classic influence Bible. Like it really did position mm. Cialdini as the, as the godfather, as I said, of persuasion. That said, when I just... I guess reread, um, you know, the the expanded version. And when I went through it, uh, there are a lot of old examples. It comes across as a little bit dated in some parts of it. He he gives examples, for example, of shopping, but they're all in store, like people chasing each other mm. for uh, the tickle me Elmo dolls and so on, as opposed to things that would be on examples online. And I feel like it would have been nice to have more modern examples because I think sometimes the examples that you include. Of course, if if you could show over time, it, that is ideal. But there were so many old examples. The other thing that really struck me, and I've noticed some podcasters, some older podcasters do this too. They talk about the radio days. So he gave a lot of examples, uh, several examples of um, radio advertising. And I was like, oof, how about podcasting? <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's anyway, change, um, I, I think... This, this book is fantastic and it, it has stood the test of time, but it does seem a little bit dated. And so now if some of some of our listeners are, are picking up the book, they might notice that when they're fl flipping through it. 
The second thing I want to say is my hack for memorizing the seven uh, levers was I just listed them all. And then I was like, what's an acronym? And the word class, C-L-A-S-S, and then R-U. So I was thinking in my head, I was like, are you classy? <laughs> I like it. I yeah. like it. Yeah, that's what I, and that's what I, you know, always did when I was trying to memorize stuff oh, nice. at school. So, so you, oh, off good. the top of yeah, your head. Because I normally, I normally get like three or four and then forget the others and have to look it up. So yeah. I'll, now I, I can't forget now. Are you classy? Just remember, Andrea yeah. said, are you classy? There you go. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And then the last thing I wanted to say about the book was, when I first heard, I actually attended a webinar uh, about a year and a half, year ago, because this, this came out in 2021. So I guess it was probably a year ago or so where Cialdini was being interviewed and obviously he was selling his book. Um, and so he was talking about unity. And in my head, I was like, unity, isn't that the same as social proof? Um, and that said, I think in today's world, it really does deserve to be its own lever. And I read that um, thinking about social proof as peer pressure and unity as herd behavior is a really good way of distinguishing them. So that's kind of my last point. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. nice. On that, on that first point about the datedness of it, I feel like... I'm kind of resistant to the new version as well because of that. Like the the old version, when you know it's old, you know, 30, 40 years old, and the examples are 30, 40, 30, 40 years old, that's fine. That's good. But when it's meant to be new and then you're still talking about the old stuff as, as well, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know if it was a, if it was a cash grab or if you had more to say or or what the, the reasoning for it. Obviously, it's a super popular book. So why well, not make it an updated say- edition? But this is how thick this is, you know, how thick the first version was. And this is <laughs> right. It's twice as thick. Um I would re- honestly I'd recommend people would read the older version. I don't know if, really? if you think the okay. same. Yeah. So I again, I think, you know, as a marketer also that the world of commercial transactions and and interpersonal communication and, and broadcast media has changed so much because of the internet that I think in order to stay relevant, you know, you really do need to put some new examples in there. So, mm. I, yeah, yeah. His, Interesting. Um, Interesting. Have you read his other book, Persuasion? I feel like I might have, but I, ah, uh, I think it Pre- must have come out somewhere around like 2017, 2018, maybe. Yeah, no, actually, no, it, I didn't. I remember seeing the seeing the cover of it, and I, yeah. Did you read it? Yeah. Yeah, I'd re- I'd re- I'd definitely recommend that as it's it's a, you know in, influence is like a ten out of ten, persuasion is like a nine out of ten, okay, which is still very very still very very high. It's just not quite as at influence levels, but the influence is obviously all about the content, you know, the things that you put into the message, and then persuasion is about the context. So it's sort of more about the delivery and a bit of priming and stuff like that. Um, oh, that sounds one, like something that I absolutely have to read as a communication coach, right? Oh yeah, Ooh. yeah yeah yeah. Ooh. Uh, the okay. drawback is as well, some of the examples are a little dated in the sense of like talking about some early website. It's obviously the, the research she did was probably from the early 2000s. And like when you when you see the websites, you're like, that looks like a website from the early 2000s, yeah. even though the book was from like 2018. But yeah. so that's probably the only the only drawback. <laughs> but I think like they work very well hand in hand. Oh, um, okay. The two, the two books. Okay. So uh, now so our I listeners definitely want have- to add to the list. Now they have supplementary reading. I love it. 
<laughs> and you have such a fantastic laugh out They're of They're going to end up with like 10 or 12 by the end of this episode. <laughs> you have a fantastic laugh. I love it. Okay. Thank you. We're going to move on now to the second book in our list, which is Chatter. Whoops. Chatter, the voice in our head, why it matters, and how to harness it. So this book is written by Professor Ethan Cross, who, who is a psychology professor at the University of Michigan, and he studies introspection, which I think about a lot. And this book was published a couple of years ago, also in 2021. And it's really a book about our self-talk, the voice in our head, which often sounds more like a critic, right? Um, he uses the word rumination a lot, which I love because I think it's, it just, rumination sounds like so negative and it just, it's, it describes how I feel when I'm ruminating. Do you know what I mean? Um, and he shares all sorts of research. So much of it is primary, his, his personal research that he's done, right? And also from other sources. And, and then he shares strategies to help us overcome negative self-talk as he calls it. So, um, so this is one of my favorite books on the planet. I'm just going to start by saying, um, I was thinking before we logged into this conversation, Adam, if I had to choose three books that were my favorite of all time, this is definitely one of the top three. Um, I believe that people who read this book, uh, will be affected. So, and, and there's a quote, um, just inside the book by Adam Grant, who I'm also a fan of. And he says, quote, I'm reading this quote, this book is going to fundamentally change some of the most important conversations you have in your life, the ones you have with yourself. So, and and so not only is the topic helpful though, and and um, you know, important in our lives because of the the context of our self-talk, like we're constantly talking to ourselves, right? But I I think the way he wrote it is also just simply put, like it's helpful in every way. So it's a common issue. Uh, he provides academic research to provide guidance for us. It's written in a way that's accessible. And there's a beautiful summary chapter at the end with literally a list of, I think it's like 13 things for you to consider. And uh, so I listened to the book and I read the book and he says at the end, like, no one's going to do all 13 of these or however many there are. But if you can choose two or three that resonate with you, I, you know, it'll make a difference. And I can tell you that as a fact, because that's what the research says. And I was just like, oh my God, he's really trying to be helpful. So I, um, that's my first point. My second point is that I recommend this book quite often to my clients who are suffering from confidence issues and, and nowhere does he say this explicitly, but this book is really helpful for talking yourself out of, uh, imposter syndrome. So if you can apply the learnings from this book, you can, I believe, and I can share some specific examples of of um, how it how things that he recommends could do that. But this book is if if you're suffering from imposter syndrome or if you could use a confidence boost, um, this is a fantastic uh, resource for you. And being faced with confidence issues is one of the most common questions that I get as a communication coach. Right? They're they're like I just I feel. Um, you know, like they'll, they'll use the word, I feel like an imposter, or they'll say like, I feel really nervous and I'm, I, I don't have the, the guts to speak up or however they're saying it. And the contents of this book will help with that. And I prescribe it and, and people do love it. And then, okay. So that's my second point. And my third point is 
my favorite hack in this book is one of the main themes that he talks about a lot, which is socially distanced self-talk. So when you catch yourself ruminating or talking negatively in your head or, or calling yourself an imposter, um, he says, use second, say your name and talk to yourself in second person. So Andrea, you know, you've got what it takes. Andrea, you know, you're prepared. Andrea, you got this. So talking to yourself like that, his research shows because they experimented like using first person, second person, third person, or, or using a mantra or using this or using that talking to yourself in second person. So say your name and then you, and then da, 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 da is for many of my clients, honestly, life-changing. They're, they're talking to themselves as if they're own. they're, they are their own best friend and it's working. So that's my point. Number three, use socially distanced self-talk, talk to yourself in second person. Fantastic. Um, that's good. <laughs> One of my points was, well, we went from influence, which I said was like, you know, started top 10, probably still top 10 for you. This book chatter is top three, which is awesome for me. This is at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, in the sense of the first time I, I, I didn't finish it. I got about 30, 40 pages in and gave up, um, which is a, which is, I suppose a bit of a rarity for me, but I feel, I feel like you've sold me. I feel like you've sold me. I need to give it another crack. I need to give it another shot. Um, my, uh, my main thing, my, my three things were number one, I only read 30, 40 pages, then gave up. Number two, I'm keen to hear your top three. And then number three, you might convince me to revisit it. And I think you have, um, it's not, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a long book. Uh, it's like 170, 180 pages. So, um, the uh, one thing I want to, aside from my own sort of negativity is I actually see this one pop up a lot um, of friends talking about this or posting about this who aren't, uh, you know, necessarily book readers or like, I don't know them through being book people, Mm. uh, but I see them. It's like the only book that they've ever posted about. So that must be something, isn't it? If someone who's not, posting about books all the time decides that this is the one book that makes them want to post about, Hey, everyone should read this book. It changed my life. I think that's a pretty good sell. That is, that is a very interesting observation. And I would love to be inside your head, Adam, when you were deciding to put the book aside after 40 pages, I know, I know from my own experience and talking to others, you just have to be in the right mindset sometimes. And Mm. I've reread books that, you know, at one point were my favorite book. And then I tried reading again and I was like, ugh, I don't see what I saw the first time and vice versa. I've, because of recommendations, gone back to a book and then realized it was better than I thought. So I I think it depends on. Mm. I think, I think my guess is, I think because it was, it was kind of new. It was pretty popular. I saw people talking about it. I was like, oh, well, I have to read this book. And because I felt like I had to read it. I was like, oh, this isn't what I was expecting and then put it down. Whereas I feel like if I like at some random point in the next six months, see it on the shelf, I'm like, oh, I kind of want to read that book now. I feel like if I want to read it versus have to read it, then I feel like maybe I'll be more open to it. And then, uh, and you might be, it might be, we might come and talk another time. I'll be like, hey, that was a, that was a top three book for me. I don't know what the hell I missed the first time. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do read it again, no matter which way it goes, you got to tell me, okay? So I'm, I'll, I'm I'll let you know. Okay. <laughs> okay. Moving on to the third and last book. Oh, I have it here. Getting, whoops. 
getting to yes, negotiating agreement without giving in. So this book was originally written by Roger Fisher and William Urey, who co-founded the Harvard Program on Negotiation. And it was originally published many years ago, many decades ago, over 40 years ago in 1981. Um, and the new newest edition adds a third author who's also at the Harvard Program on Negotiation, uh, Bruce Patton. And I thought it was really interesting, actually, in the preface, how they talk about how he's not just like an add-on. He actually did significantly contribute to this latest edition. Uh Um, So that said, before he joined the crew, Fisher and Yuri are known as the godfathers of negotiation. Just like (laughs) I I actually read this online. They are the godfathers of negotiation, (laughs) just like um, Cialdini is the godfather of persuasion, right? So here we are reading the godfathers. Uh, I just realized none of our our authors here are women. I just noticed that right now. That's not good. I remember we had a short list. We definitely had some women on the short list. They were. Yeah, there were even some books about feminism in that list. Uh, So maybe we'll do this again. But the one thing that I, I remember when I was at Harvard Business School, hearing all the students in the negotiations class talking about BATNA, the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. And that is a big contribution of Fisher and Yuri in this book. Um, it's kind of like the thing that you take in day one of negotiations class. But just a summary of the book, there are four principles that they advocate for any negotiation, including including the BATNA. Also, uh, separating the people from the problem. So it's not personal. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the, the problem or the challenge is what you're focusing on. Number two is you focus on interests, not positions. And that's when you may find more overlap. And I, I think that one is gold. I literally used that one yesterday when I was negotiating with someone and I realized I'm thinking this, she's thinking that, and then hang on a second, there is overlap if we just redefine this a little bit. And so that's gold. And the third one is work together to invent options that will satisfy both parties. It kind of flows nicely from that second one. And the fourth one is insist on objective criteria. So when things start getting subjective um, or you're not really focusing on criteria and tracking them to uh, those, so those are the principles. Um, do you want to go first, Adam? Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm going to go first. Um, the first thing was that I took was the, the idea that they call it positional bargaining and they say that's the worst way to get a deal, um, which is kind of the standard if anyone thinks about a negotiation. Right. Positional bargaining, I guess, is where the first thing that comes to mind where person A wants this, person B wants this, and then you kind of fight to meet somewhere in the middle. Uh, and of course, that's the, the worst way to go about it, they say, because uh, – Firstly, even if you're not super strongly tied to your position, like if it was just a, a rough idea of what you wanted, the more you fight for it, the more you dig in your heels and want that thing, even though you might might not have wanted it in the first place. Right. So I guess the act of trying to fight for it makes you think you want it, even if you didn't want it. Yeah. Um, also, it means that by meeting in the middle, uh, both of you lose, really. <laughs> like you both, you're both not getting what you want, um, which is why they're saying that you know, just fighting over positions is the worst way to do it. You need to follow those four steps to kind of step away from the positions um, yeah. to both try to get close closer to all of what you wanted. Yeah, you know what? As uh, you're describing it that way, Adam, you you just described that described that very eloquently. I, I 
it made me think that yesterday when I was in this negotiation, I was advocating for something on behalf of my daughter and with, with her school, but it, 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 this situation had escalated. Right. And I, and I was talking to them and I, I actually brought it back to first principles. I was like, here's mm. why this is important to me. And here's what I really want. Not you have to do this. Right. And they're like, no, we can't. I'm like, yes, you can. It was, it was very like, here's why, here's what we're thinking. And then they said, well, here's why we don't think we can, but actually, and then, Bam. Mm. Yeah. It works. It works. And that's, yeah. And that's perfect because you kind of did all those steps in one almost. Like you were stepping away from the people versus the positions. Like you're not just because you think this and they think this, they're evil, you're good, you're fighting, everybody's against each other. As soon as you kind of step away from that and realize, hey, we're not, we shouldn't be fighting over this. This is actually what I want, even though there might be some other way to achieve it, even if you don't think we can do it exactly this way. And then you kind of, sitting on the same side of the table working together rather than you know head to head trying to battle to get what you want so yeah. um i think that's i think that's perfect i think the um the second thing i remember is a story that kind of illustrates this a pretty cheesy story but it, it always sticks in my brain about two kids fighting over an orange you know and they say no i want the orange no i want the orange so they cut it in half and take half each and then one kid bites into the orange, he eats the fruit and throws away the skin. And the other kid peels off the skin, uses it to bake a cake and throws away the fruit. So if they had to step back and said, you know, not just I want the orange, if one person says, hey, I'm using the skin to bake a cake and one says I want to eat that orange for a tasty snack, they could have both got 100% of what they wanted. But in the end, they only got 50% and the other got chucked away. So that, that's always like the the cheesy little story that sticks in my head about this this book to remember to kind of do all those things, you know, step away, you know, separate people from positions, focus on the actual interests, like what do you actually want? Not just I want the orange, but what I want the orange because I want a snack or I want yeah. the orange because I'm baking a cake. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a beautiful metaphor out. actually before you enter into negotiation, ask yourself what is – what is the orange and what is the orange peel and right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the third thing is, is I guess just, you know, we've been talking about negotiation and you probably typically think, you know, buying a house or buying a car or negotiating for a pay rise. Um, but really negotiation is a lot broader than that as well. It could be as, as uh, you know, mundane as, you know, discussing with your partner, what are you going to eat for dinner or what restaurant are you going to go to? <laughs> you know, what movie are you going to see? Uh, it could be talking, discussing with your kids, who's doing what chores this week. Um, all these things, I think, are negotiations that we can apply these principles to. So Adam, that was my number one. I, I And they nice. say this in the beginning and at the end, we're all negotiating all the time. You don't need to be a union leader. Uh, you're negotiating with whatever, your kid's school, with your kids, with your partner, with your boss, with your friends, with your husband, you know, and negotiating is a life skill, whether you consciously think about it or not. So reading this book can help you with life. How, how, <laughs> how convincing is that? That was my first point. I started really general. Um, nice. My second point was I really respected how the authors said again and again that one of the, the tenets or principles um, of their uh, framework is not hiding anything from the other, right? Mm. Like you're not, you're not deceiving or hiding anything. And it, it, it the way that they um, recommend negotiating it has nothing to do with being sneaky or having a poker face, right? Like sometimes when you think about negotiating, it's like, 
well, just pretend that this is all we have or just put, put your poker face on and it's, it's not like that at all. It's actually, in fact, the complete opposite as far as they're concerned. It's about here are the principles that we're going to use to negotiate and do, can you agree with these? And in fact, they say that if you can't get the other parties, the other party or parties to agree that you shouldn't negotiate, you shouldn't participate in mm. the negotiation at all if it's a formal negotiation, right? So I thought that was um, interesting. And maybe maybe inspiring i guess if if mm. i'm thinking about entering into negotiation and i'm feeling really um you know I, i'm thinking about the car salesman right who's who's lying about going to ask his boss if it's okay right <laughs> that's that would be violating <laughs> um this principle here and then the third the third thing i'm surprised you didn't bring this up was and i'm really curious to hear i'm reaching over to grab another book is comparing getting to yes with mm. the book that I hear so many people talking about. I My clients say to me, do you have any books to recommend, Andrea, in terms of communication skills? I mean, other than Never Split the Difference, everybody's read that, right? <laughs> they, always say, they always say that. He must have sold millions and millions and millions of books. Yeah. Um, so well. I, I, I'm going to start this off and then I, I want to punt it back to you, but my read of Never Split the Difference is really more about um, scripts and questions to ask, exactly what to say when the other one offers something, how to get to a yes, how to get to a no, and and framing a no and all that stuff, right? Versus getting to yes is more about the principles of negotiating. That was my mm -hmm. take on the main difference. I think they complement each other quite beautifully, actually. Um, yes. Yeah. There is some redundancy, of course, but it's they're mostly quite different from each other, but they complement each other. What do you think? Yeah, I think the uh, getting to yes is you can tell one's written by Harvard professors and one's written by a hostage negotiator. Oh. That the uh, the getting to yes is uh, you know we talked about the formal four step process and uh, here's the here's the things that you need to follow to do it very structured and rigid and you know negotiating before the negotiation about how you're going to negotiate um, all that stuff uh, is perfect for the classroom and for uh, you know most standard negotiations whereas then never split the difference kind of takes it a little bit more real world where he's talking about his you know someone's robbed a bank and they've got 15 hostages inside. How do you, you're not going to think, okay, let's negotiate about how we're going to negotiate this negotiation. You kind of, it's a, it's a lot more about the, um, I think, it, I think it's also a lot more about sort of the interpersonal side of things as well. Yeah. Um, the yeah. never, never split the difference. So a lot more of the sort of real, real world tangible stuff, um, about how you almost how you talk as well, or how you talk or how you, you know, even a little bit of nonverbal communication stuff as well. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think they work very well together. And then if we're talking about supplementary reading, just to add another one to the list oh. as well, the, the follow-up to getting to yes, uh, is getting past no. Um, so it obviously, the first one you're talking about getting to yes. The second one is, uh, okay, well, you didn't get to yes. It ended up as a no. How do you, how do you keep going to get past no to get back to that? Yes. Um, which, uh, you mentioned you mentioned about how the, it started with two authors that went to three. Getting past no is only one of the three, so I don't know if they split up or or what. And one one went their own way and just did a did a solo book. Um, so but I think it's a great follow up. One of them passed away. Uh, ah, yeah, one of them's deceased. I think it. I I better not say. But one of the original authors is 
is now a professor emeritus. He's basically a retired professor, and the other one's deceased. So that's probably there you why. Go. That's yeah. probably why there's only one author. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think that I think sort of all three of those. If you if you really look and go from a one out of ten negotiator to a six or seven out of ten negotiator, I think definitely read those three books. And then if you want to get to a nine or a ten out of ten. Obviously, the only way is then to actually practice in the real world. But getting all those those three books inside your brain and then practicing with it, you can really improve your negotiation skills. And if we're thinking about like return on investment, you know, three books might cost you seventy to one hundred bucks. Mm. Might cost you twenty to thirty hours of reading. Um, if you can then negotiate a better deal on your car, negotiate a pay rise, negotiate. Uh, you can eat more of the dinners that you want to eat because you're negotiating with your partner every night. Maybe that improves your life a hell of a lot. Um, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I, I think love this um... point, Adam. Oh my goodness. Okay, I've got, I've got something to add too. What if you took the seven levers that Cialdini Ooh. introduces and use them in oh. the negotiation Using the scripts provided in Never Split the Difference and the principles provided in Getting to Yes, oh I gosh. think the world You're is now your an 11 oyster. out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Fantastic. Don't it, even get me started on persuasion about how you how you set the context of it then. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And then and then if anything does go wrong and you're ruminating about it, then you just read chatter. <laughs> Oh, perfect. And suddenly you are the happiest <laughs> and most successful self that you could be. I think that's a fantastic oh, place to stop. <laughs> I think so too. Are you ready for me to fire the five rapid fire questions at you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Ooh, yeah. We're going to make this rapid. Number one, what are your pet peeves? Poorly structured documents. It doesn't have to be well written. It just needs to be clear. Nice. Oh, I have a book for you yeah. on that. Have you read Smart Brevity? No. That okay. sounds right up my alley. Yes. They actually have formula in there for ah, structuring fantastic. everything from emails to you know documents ah, to sold. everything. Yep, you're going to you're going to love it. It's very easy. Uh, very easy read written by the three founders of Axios. So, question number 2. What kind of learner are you? Visual, hence the annoyance at poor structure. <laughs> I think, I think, uh, and obviously being a being a book reader, um, I think definitely visual. Okay, excellent. Me too. Question number three: Introvert or extrovert? I think I'm sort of an extroverted introvert. I think I'm probably like 70-30 towards introvert. Okay. You're an, you're an ambivert, which is most people. I ask it that way to be provocative, but most of us are in the middle, and that's an ambivert. Okay. Yeah. Question number four your communication preference for personal conversations. What's the media that you like, or the app, or the platform that you like to use to communicate with your friends? I think text, text for short stuff, and then call for longer stuff. I think. Text is good because you don't have the uh, phone call anxiety, especially if it's something short. You can yep. reply to it on your own time. Yeah. But then obviously if it's, I don't want to also do six or seven back and forth texts as well. So if it gets longer, let's just get it done on a, on a quick phone call. Very pragmatic. Okay. The last, <laughs> the last question that I have for you, I'm really curious about this one, is mm. 
What podcast do you find yourself recommending the most lately? It's a tough, that was the hardest question. Um, Because I want to say what you will learn, our own podcast, but I don't really recommend it. I think it's some, uh, (laughs) I don't think I've ever recommended someone listen to it, actually. I was going to say, not including my podcast and your podcast. I should have said that. I also listen to a lot of weird stuff, like I'm obsessed with Survivor and Seinfeld, so I listen to a lot of Survivor podcasts and Seinfeld podcasts. Um, but probably um, probably three books by Neil Pasricha uh, to do it. Very very pressing, prescient for this uh, topic as well, that we did three books. Yeah. He um, interviews people about what are their three most formative books. Yeah. Okay. That's very appropriate. Okay. Is there anything else you want to share with listeners? Uh, Maybe it could be anything about one of the books that we just talked about or another book that you might want to recommend. So knowing that the Talk About Talk listeners, I know because I talk to them all the time, they have a growth mindset and they are very ambitious about their careers. So what book in in your library behind you and all the books that you've read do you think might help them the most? I think the thing that will help the most just to go a little bit meta is not any one specific book, but to commit to reading more books, I guess, that um, you say people have already got the growth mindset, which is kind of the key to it. Um, But I think if you're always curious, always wanting to learn more, and if you can... You know, if you're if you're reading a book a month, try and up up that to two a month. Or if you if you're reading three a year, try to get to five five a year. Um, I think the the more that you read, and then as we said as well, like putting it into practice as well, that's going to help you a hell of a lot. Um, I, I don't. There's I could I could recommend hundreds of specific books, um, but I think the the recommendation is just to start read reading more. things that you want to read. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I am going to add one other question just because I know my readers want to know this and I also really want to know this. Do you have any tips for devouring books more at a faster pace without compromising kind of what we're internalizing? Do you listen Mm. to them? Do you read them all? Do you buy hard copies? What time of day do you read? Do you have rules about when you read or don't read? Like, how can we become more productive uh, readers? Yeah, well, I'm probably I probably also need to work this out. The last three months, I've read the least I've ever read since I started reading. I guess because I just had a, a new daughter, uh, a three month old who's taking up a lot more time. So all that reading time has very quickly disappeared. Yeah, um, you're going to be reading so, different books, Adam. You're going to be reading these <laughs> exactly. Congratulations, by the way. I didn't know that. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So I need to work it out. How do I how do I read as well? I I think the um the main one for me was to previously I used to see reading as like a specific um extra activity I guess where you're like okay you know at the end of the day I'm in bed and I've got to read for thirty minutes or like something that you specifically um set time apart for mm-hmm. which uh, for some people that's important like you have to like structure it that way if you're going to do it like you have to you know put it um prioritize it in that way but for me it was it was more about the incidental stuff it was more about the you're on the train and so you squeeze in 15 minutes or you're waiting in the in the dentist's office and so you can squeeze in eight minutes or you know you've just you've just finished um you know whatever report you're going to do and you need to have a quick break and then you can squeeze 12 minutes of reading in there so for me it was just kind of fitting in the the incidental stuff um and also probably 
if you get 30 or 40 pages into a book you don't like, then uh, put it aside and pick up something else that might keep you going a bit, a bit quicker. Yeah. Life is too short to finish a book that you're not into. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Are you, Unless I used to be, as soon as I read page one, I was reading all the way to the end. But So it yeah. took a long time for me to be like, okay, no, I don't have to. I can put this one down. Yeah. Okay. Well, Adam, I have to say this honestly was even more fun than I thought it was going to be. I learned some. <laughs> like I said, I love your laugh. Um, and I appreciate your insights that you shared with the listeners and with me. And I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you. It was great fun. Um, a nice new format put me on the spot, revisiting a few old books that I hadn't read for a long time. And then uh, also inspiring me to revisit a book that I half read <laughs> or maybe <laughs> one eighth read. Uh, and maybe now I can go and pick it up again and finish it off. Yeah. Great. Thanks. And I hope we can do this again, Adam. Thank you so much. Amazing. Thank you. Bye.